Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, OPEC members agree to a much larger than expected production cut. The surprising announcement sends traders scrambling. Energy prices have their best day in nine months. Tim Puko, Allison Sider are back to break it all down. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast. Paul and Stephen here in the studio in rainy New York City. Is it actually raining out? I haven't been outside all day, actually. It is raining out. Jennifer, our producer, is, is nodding her head. It is raining out. Uh, it is raining out. I'll tell you what, it's raining in the in the oil market, which is what we're going to talk about today. It is raining gold or... Yeah, I think it's just sunny. It's very, yeah, very that sunny. Was a terrible, yeah, it was that terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I tried to be smooth about it. Uh, listen, if you guys were listening yesterday, you heard us talk about the oil market. There was a big meeting of OPEC ministers in Vienna, highly anticipated. We're expecting some kind of deal to tell you what we got. What happened in the oil market? We're bringing back Tim Puko and Allison Sider. How are you both today? Lovely. You're doing Lovely. great. Yeah, great. You better today than yesterday, Tim? I was Good. excited yesterday, and I'm excited today. What do you mean better? You like, it's been a great 48 hours. Yeah, you seem a little. You're a little. You seemed angry yesterday. Uh, I was just uh, uh, pumped up. You're pumped up. Yeah, amped. Okay. Amped. All right. You're intense. You're intense. All right. So, uh, tell us, folks, what happened today in the oil market? Well, if you remember yesterday, you said, what could actually make a difference? And I said, well, these guys would have to cut more than a million barrels a day. Lo and behold, they came to an agreement to cut more than a million barrels a day. And oil had its best day in nine months. Oil prices rose uh, almost 10% at one point, got very near $50. And, uh, and yeah, a lot of people think this is just the beginning of a, of a, maybe a full recovery for oil prices. I yeah. guess the OPEC members listened to Money Beat. Well, they knew what they had to do. Well, in I, terms, of, we, we talked yesterday about a, a credible agreement. Is this agreement credible? I think it impressed a lot of people that they came out with, <clears throat> excuse me, with a lot of details, and it wasn't just Saudi Arabia cutting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, uh, the vast majority of OPEC members. And uh, and some of them fairly substantially too. Uh, I think uh, Saudi Arabia wasn't even or isn't even supposed to handle uh, half the cuts, right? Is that right? Yeah, I got that right. Yeah. And so you know, if you you know, people are still ske- skeptical, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of reason to be skeptical. It could still be at this point months before we know how this deal translates into action, and whether OPEC members who are notoriously bad at holding to their quotas, uh, hold by them this time. Uh, They say that Russia is going to participate, but I don't think we've actually heard from Russia yet. Um, There's talk of a meeting next week. You know, so, yeah, so a lot of traders out there are still skeptical and, and waiting. Um, but at least for now, it was a pretty big day. Well, at least in the short term, there doesn't seem to be a lot of skepticism. I mean, oil is having one of its best days in several months at least. Well, the price tells you that there's not a whole lot of skepticism. This is warmly embraced. I yes. think one of the other things that sort of um, lent credence to the whole thing is that uh, OPEC agreed that there will be three members that will serve on a sort of monitoring committee to sort of keep everyone in check and make sure they're complying, you know, how much enforcement authority they'll have and whether they'll really be able to... Um, uh, lay down the law with right. some of these countries, again, we'll did, have did to... Did they say what countries those would be? I think it's going to be Kuwait, Algeria, and Venezuela. Hmm. That's interesting. Have, have they done that before? 
had like a monitoring group like that? Does anyone know? You're really putting us in the spot here, man. We're not OPEC historians, okay? You want to know about oil prices or you want to know about like the history of OPEC? Well, I mean, traditionally, Do I look OPEC. like Daniel Jurgen? I don't know. I, I'm just saying, I, I Puka, get always, a little angry. You know, me. It's okay. Oh, you know, to Puka, you could have just said, yeah, hey, I'm not really sure You're about that. You're supposed to sell me, man. Why don't I check don't on that me, and get back to you? Don't make me look bad and sound bad in front of all, like, the thousands and thousands of Money Beat fans out there. Right. Thank you for not saying hundreds and hundreds. Uh, listen, I have a question. Did they? I know that there was a lot of contention around issues that Iraq had and Iran. Did they? Did they come to agreements? Those two countries. I mean, they, they came to an agreement on the whole thing. Do, how did they? They settle their 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 issues. That's actually one point of skepticism. Um, Iraq is cutting, but one of the money managers I talked to pointed out that the numbers they agreed upon to like. Cut. I'm doing air quotes. This radio, you can't see me. I'm doing air quotes around cut uh, from uh, our. Is it a higher production number that that some people believe they weren't actually producing at to begin with? So mm-hmm. that you know that takes out a little bit of the impact from uh, Iraq's cut and uh, or, and Iran. I believe is just um, you know they're going to go to 3.9 million, which gets them back essentially to, to the pre-sanction output. Uh, so it's kind of kind of a freeze, kind of an exemption. Right. Well, and that's Libya what... and Nigeria have exemptions too. So um, some of those some of those elements are still there. I think it's the fact that so many other countries beyond them did agree to give up yeah. uh, some of their production that 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 stuck out. Now, where does with oil prices rising, where do where are we heading now? Well, there are some that will tell you that. We could getting back. We could be getting back to sixty dollars a barrel. Uh, Energy Aspects put that number out there as where we could be going for twenty seventeen. Uh, there is a thought. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say consensus, but there's there seems to be a growing belief that you know if this is real, the numbers that they put out there are steep enough that you you are you will really start to eat into inventories very quickly. Uh, inventories have been at record levels around the world. And even though your daily supply and demand has has equalized, essentially, um, inventories are so high that there's no reason for prices to to keep going up until until those record high stockpiles start to drain. And and the thing is, with with this large of a cut, the thought is that 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 inventory drain could pick up to a very quick pace, uh, maybe within the next few months. Instead of waiting until 2018 for a gradual decline uh, to get the market um, you know, thinking more about tightness and, and, and um, you know, uh, the end of oversupply. Well, I spoke to a fund manager today who sort of said if oil gets to 60, they're going to start thinking about shorting. So I think peop- there is sort of a limit to how high people think oil prices can really get. If they get high enough, you'll see U.S. producers really start to pick up and start to lock in. Uh, prices for the second half of the year and bring more production online. And I think also just the idea that um, I think there's a growing sense that OPEC is putting a floor under prices and just that knowledge could sort of incentivize a lot of people to start uh, bringing more production back, uh, which could sort of ultimately be somewhat self-defeating. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tim, you've written about this on, on you know, Money Beat a couple of times now. With a, a bit of skepticism toward these production cuts because, you know, other countries who are not part of OPEC, especially the U.S., will ramp up production to fill, um, you know, that sort of void. 
There are some who think that that is the biggest risk. Of course, we talked about OPEC and its inability to stick to its own limits. Uh, but you know, even if they do, well, the U.S. is never going to participate in something like that. And shale drillers have shown that they're really eager to start producing more to get more rigs out there, even when oil isn't quite at 50. If you start getting oil prices at 60, um, there's a strong chance that you bring part of the Bakken shale back into profitability. And you could have rigs well, going back to work. What is the Bakken shale? Uh, the Bakken is the, um, is the, uh, for, it's the formation in, uh, under, primarily under North Dakota that, uh, that got really crazy as the boom started to take off. Uh, but it is still a little more expensive. Costs have come down in a lot of places. Uh, the Permian is in, in, in West Texas is where a lot of drillers gather now. Uh, but it is much closer to uh, a lot of your, you know, your refiners, your oil infrastructure, your pipelines. Uh, the Bakken is in the middle of the country and far removed from from you know those markets. And so you probably need pri- well the Permian and other parts of Texas and, and a few maybe a few other places uh, are, are profitable around 50 or even lower for your best producers. Um, the, the Bakken it seems to have break-even points a little bit higher, maybe closer to 60, and there has been a pretty substantial pullback there. But if you get to 60, then you know the point is it's not just, it's not just the low, lowest-cost Texas, Texas production that comes on uh, that benefits, that you can start to see rigs going up in, in other places around the country. And, uh, and a lot of times, like, if these guys spend, if U.S. producers spend, you know, they get into debt – and and they might even produce at a loss. So price go up to sixty, it comes back down. It doesn't matter. These guys are out there in the field. Those rigs are on, um, and and production comes back strong. And it, you could just very easily refill that whatever gap that OPEC leaves. You know, and, and it, you know, you're talking about prices going up, and and I was thinking, and this isn't necessarily a question for you. I know you cover oil markets, but I mean some for all of us to think about. I mean, if prices start going up again, what does that mean for the economy? What, what does that mean for the consumer's wallet? What does that mean for what happens to you at the gas pump? Well, there's a lot of concern right now about how much more consumers are willing to spend um, because prices aren't falling anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I will say is that the U.S. economy is more dependent on energy production, on on the benefits of having domestic drilling um, than maybe it is on having low energy prices. That was one of the fears that kicked in when oil got down into the 30s, that that these companies in the U.S. that had had a drilling boom and had fed so much into the economy when things were otherwise in a bit of a malaise uh, were now laying off you know tens of thousands of workers. Mm-hmm. So if you see oil prices at 60, um, you know if it went to 100, then you there might be a reason to get scared. But I'm not sure that anyone's really fearful about a dramatic pullback uh, on the consumer side as long as oil prices don't shoot up much further than that. Uh, Because, again, the U.S. economy is the the one most likely to benefit from more rigs going back to work and and, uh, growth again in the, um, you know, among independent oil companies. No, I I think that also, you know, raises a good point because, 
when remember when oil was falling, the oil price of oil was falling, everyone's like, this is going to be a boom for the U.S. economy. Yeah. And we didn't see right, that. Right. I mean, it never- Not matured, like you've seen in, in right. times past, right? It has not materialized. And I think, you know, part of that is what Tim spoke to is you, you like, you know, energy had been one of the real areas of growth in the U.S. since the financial crisis. And, and it's not just the, you know, the companies drilling for the oil and, it, it, you know, it spills over into the equipment makers and, and uh, you know, other, you know, firms like that. So, I mean, it, it does have a, a sizable impact. And the other thing, too, is with inflation so low, right. falling oil prices do bring deflation into the equation. And that's not, a, you know, an insignificant issue. No, no, and, and I mean the fact that you know whoa, they've gone from what was it twenty six was the low this year for for crude oil, right? And now you're up around yeah, a little bit again. below twenty seven dollars. Yeah. yeah. Right. But my question is, what does OPEC do when it hits sixty dollars and the U.S. increasingly is grabbing market share from OPEC producers at sixty dollars? You know, I mean. OPEC is historically, and this is why I was asking about the monitor group, you know, it hasn't really kept to these production cuts in, in previous in previous times. Are, are they going to ramp up production as soon as they feel like sort of, you know, they're losing market share? I, I think that's very plausible. I think, uh, you know, with this agreement, it sort of seems like OPEC lives to fight another day in, 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 as far as being a relevant force in the market. But um, with so much new production from outside of OPEC... Um, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to watch how that plays out over the next several months and several years, whether they'll uh, remain uh, such a force. I, I do think oil prices rising, you know, will have, you know, seem like a positive thing to the economy, given how much they sort of weighed on, um, you know, stock, on the stock market in the, in the U.S. economy previously. So it will be interesting to see if they will have a positive impact on the way up. Yeah. Certainly a nice uh, holiday present from OPEC for the for the in whole industry, I would guess, right? Yeah, and it goes back to a point that I was making yesterday about how these guys were, were backed into a corner. Um, they had one strategy. It didn't, it didn't accomplish as much as they'd hoped uh, in, in kind of opening the taps. Now they're to a point where, where they want to close them, and, and we'll see who really gets the benefit. There could be... You know, I guess there could be a Goldilocks case to make that that everyone makes out here, uh, but um, that'll be what the show that unfolds guess, over the next three to six months. Tells yeah, I, I guess that is the question. I mean, what to make of their move? In, you know, back in November of two thousand fourteen, when they lifted the caps. I mean, did that work at all? I mean, or is it just too early even? You know, ask that question. I don't think it worked quickly enough to suit them. I think that you could make the case that it was working, but that there is a lot of fear about the types of prices um, those countries within OPEC can withstand. Remember, OPEC is not a monolith. Some of its members are Venezuela, chief among them, are in dire straits because of what happened in oil prices. Even Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. at the top of the food chain, is facing... You know, uh, uh, essentially, like strife uh, among the masses because of adjustments in society and culture that are happening because they're not raking in the oil money that they used to, and it's a difficult position for them because their economies became so reliant on 
on massive margins in their favor on oil prices that they put themselves in a position where even though their wells in theory are incredibly profitable even at the low prices that we saw two weeks ago um, in in some ways they just their countries cannot withstand it and in the US US companies don't have to worry about any of those things the, the bottom line is all that matters and um, and it's going to be a real real challenge for OPEC to, to to walk that balance to figure out you know how it how it sustains a price that makes domestic issues more comfortable without um, setting up a price that just continually erodes their business and allows the U.S. in particular to take it from them. And also, were, did American shale producers prove more resilient than OPEC? Yes, suspected. That's the big that's the big issue that. Uh, I don't. I don't know that uh, OPEC realized how quickly U.S. shale producers could bring down costs. You know, there was an assumption that break-even prices in a lot of places in the states were, you know, somewhere eighty-five dollars a barrel or more, um, because that's what they were spending. But you know, the thing is, when you have supply problems, when you have an oversupply. Um, and when you have a supply shock, I think that's the way to put it, then costs usually are what readjusts to whatever change in price follows. And so all these guys had to figure out how are we going to make money or at least survive. Uh, and they were doing many things that they didn't have to do. You know, they were drilling a lot on the edges of their plays, exploring new places to figure out you know, how, how could they build up their reserves by, by uh, you know, stretching as much as they could their oil programs uh, and identifying like their, full, like, their, like their full reserves. And they just don't need to do that. Like they've gone into the sweet spot. Um, they've, got, they've negotiated with their service providers. Their costs are so far down. That's allowed them to survive. And, and I don't think OPEC realized that could happen as swiftly and thoroughly as it did. Well, I think Tim Puko sounded pretty smart, even though he was not able to answer your earlier question, Grocer. It's a bad question. And I, and I apologize. It's a bad question. <laughs> I accept your apology this time. Everybody gets one. I think he did okay This is there. like the second time that, uh, you know, Paul threw me under the bus for that. Or... I didn't. What are you talking about? No, it wasn't Puko's me. throwing me under the bus. Hurts, guys. No one's throwing you. Listen. You deserve what you get. Puko's just a little mad because he didn't know the answer to the question. He's a little defensive. I don't even remember what the question was now. I've already put it behind me. It was about the monitoring committee. Have they ever had that one? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some some esoteric bureaucratic organization. You're going to you're gonna look that up. You see, your answer was, oh, hey, guys, let me look that up and I'll get back to you on it. Right? That oh, I was hoping said. that I could stall long enough that Allison that we, would look it up on her phone and then come up with an answer. Nah, that my Allison, jokes would no. allow some research. but <laughs> Apparently not. No, I, we, we've enjoyed your bitter grumbling about the question. Though. We have. Been, bitter grumbling makes for great podcasts. Yeah, exactly. it does. It does. It does. So thank you very much. Allison Sider, Tim Puko, thank you both. Everybody, thank you for listening, and we will catch up with you soon. News on the go. Whenever you want it, wherever you want it. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.